Hello, and thank you for listening to Rorschach, Your Reality, the podcast. This is Hannah Hassler, your host, and I am so excited that you're joining us here today. Uh, The podcast is all about sharing your story, other people's stories, and thinking about how we're impacted by our day-to-day lives, by our perceptions, and honestly, how much power we really have to change our own realities. Thanks again for joining us. so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed hearing more about Rebecca, her story, and the idea behind Cooking for One. If you want to learn more about her, definitely check the show notes for her links. I believe you can find her website or her Instagram uh, handle there. And as always, you can find me on the web at www.rorschachyourreality.com. Rorschach is R-O-R-S-C-H-A-C-H, just like the inkblots. You can also find me on Facebook or Instagram at Rorschach Your Reality. Thanks again for joining us. I would love if you subscribed or left a review. Our guest joining us today is Rebecca Clyde, and I am super excited to hear what she has to say about cooking for one, as well as uh, some of her own journey and experience. Experiences. So, Rebecca, what, could you start by telling us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So, I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. I've been here for, oh my gosh, <laughs> a long time. Um, I am a dietitian, and I don't necessarily work with individuals right now, although I want to get back into that in the future. But what I'm doing right now is I'm working on a food blog specifically for people who are cooking for one. I also host a podcast and I'm just creating recipes and taking pictures of them and, and finding ways to make money and support myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's like the big challenge, right? Moving from kind of hobby passion to like actually sustainable income. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it, you know, like you feel, okay, I've got my feet under me. This things are going well, we're cruising. And then, and then the bottom falls out and it's just like a constant cycle of that. So (laughs) it's, it's a fun experience. Yes, that's so true. And let's see, were you always interested in cooking, nutrition, or is that something that you kind of came to later in life? Yeah, I, I think a little bit of both. So I, I went into college without really knowing what I wanted to do or to study. One college that I applied for, I had to declare a major and I was so mad about that because they said you didn't have to. So I was like, business? Yeah, sure. And then I didn't end up going there and I didn't study business at all. <laughs> But when I was a freshman in college, (laughs) it's kind of a funny story. So I remember, so I lived in the dorms and didn't really have to do, you know, I just, the the food court and all, you know, whatever they had there for, for students. And, but I would get stuff for breakfast because I like to sleep in Mm. more than (laughs) time to eat breakfast. And so I went and bought like cereal and fruit and and milk or something for to have for breakfast and the cashier was like oh this looks so healthy and I think he was just looking at the fruit that I bought I don't know (laughs) you must be a dietetic student and I was like oh yeah okay whatever and I didn't even (laughs) know what that was so I remember but it like stuck with me and I remember calling my mom right as I was like literally walking back from from buying those groceries and that kind of started it and luckily the school I was at had a nutrition program and and it you know I liked science and I really liked food and I 
guess there was a way for me to combine those two. And so, so yeah, that's, that's how I got to where I am. I mean, a lot else, but (laughs) that was kind of the catalyst, I guess. Isn't it so crazy how like just kind of this offhand comment from a stranger, like started this whole cycle of, yes, like this is what I want to do. I'm going to like study this. Yeah, it's it's so crazy because I I grew up in a really in a like a small neighborhood in Washington and my neighbor across the street who had kids my age like she was a dietitian I had no I had no idea and I had no idea what that was. So to be introduced to this um degree which then led to a career um kind of because of just one yeah, exactly offhanded <laughs> comment. <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's crazy. Oh, that is super cool. Yeah. Um, And I saw on your site, or or maybe I think you had shared prior to the interview, that some of your work includes kind of helping people who want to improve body image, which is kind of a really popular topic right now, I think. Uh, So why is body image so important, and how does that maybe connect to your work with uh, diets and nutrition? Yeah, yeah. So it it connects in so many different ways, a lot of ways that we don't necessarily think of. So I originally got started in that. Um, So after I finished my nutrition program and internship, I got a job working at a hospital. So I would meet with, with patients in the hospital. And I don't remember, it must have been a few different interactions with patients, but I was, I started kind of thinking like, you know, exercise, moving, and also the way that we feel about ourselves. It seems to have a big effect on these people that I'm talking to. Hmm. And so, um, and also I wasn't able to find a full-time job in something that I liked. And so I decided to go back to grad. <laughs> Well, because I guess that's what you do. <laughs> so I went um, to the University of Utah and I studied exercise physiology and um, like health coaching kind of. And so my thesis was on body image and kind of all of these things came together to me learning a lot about that and then just really, you know, growing my passion and and that came from learning just all of the intersections between what we eat, what we do, how we feel about ourselves and how that affects how we move through this world. Because really, you know, especially for women, we're so programmed to be so preoccupied with the way that we look and that's such a, a damaging um, place to be because it really holds us back from so many things because instead of focusing on, on, you know, excelling or to try new things that are out of our comfort zone, those feelings kind of um, permeate through other aspects of our lives and kind of take over our, our heads and our mind space and, and zap our creativity and our confidence. And it's so for those reasons and so many more, I'm, I'm really passionate about that. And, like to kind of share that when I can. Yes. And when you mentioned right there about kind of the amount of time and energy um, that we that we tend to put into thinking about our appearance and thinking about, you know, kind of the, the way that our body is being perceived by society or by other people, um, it made me think of this book um, by Sarah Hayes Coomer. It's called Physical Disobedience. An Unruly Guide to Health and Stamina for the Modern Feminist. Have you 
happen to have seen that? <laughs> I, I have not, but I'm intrigued by the title. I will have to look into that. What, yeah. what did, you, did you read it? Yes, I did read it. And I really loved it. It was just, you know, kind of her whole perspective about like, you know, healthy movement and movement that makes you feel good and food that makes you feel good. And, but really engaging with your body and how we have so much more power than we realize. And so often our bodies kind of get bogged down in beauty standards and how other people see them and how we feel like we're supposed to look. And there's a lot more like fear and doubt and insecurity and anxiety and frustration and guilt <laughs> um, as opposed to just like joy and excitement and celebration about your body. And uh, when you were talking, it, it made me think of that book. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is such a great point. And, you know, I mean, it, I think the hardest thing about all of this is that you can, you know, for yourself, get to that point where you're like, I, I love my body or I can see that my body is more than what it looks like and I can value it for more than that. But then you turn on the TV or you go on the internet, you look through Instagram, you walk around outside or you talk to people and, and then that you're just kind of, our life isn't conducive to that, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and it is for some people. I'm really privileged that I live in a bubble where most people that I know and hang out with and talk to are not overly um, concerned with bodies hmm. and like, you know, more body positive than not. And, but that's not the case for a lot of people. And I think it's a really hard place to, to kind of balance the way that you feel about yourself or trying to change that with what you see everywhere else. And then also what people say too. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I feel like, body image is such a one of those topics that just has so many elements you know from kind of our own internalized things to the projections of other people to society's expectations and and even if you honestly feel like pretty good about your body the more you engage with the world the harder it is not to kind of soak up that messaging and start to have insecurity so I, I definitely can yeah. see why it why it makes sense to kind of work with people through that. Cause I think it's something a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. And we can continue to talk about this or go <laughs> in a different direction. It's up to you, but I do want to say one other thing. I think, um, you can, you know, totally start to feel better and then you go to the doctor and then they weigh you and then you're told that, Oh, you need to change this about your body. And like the reality is they likely don't know the whole story and there's so much that goes along with it. But then you get that from an authority figure um, you know, and it, and it kind of just, it confuses the whole thing. And so that in itself is another place that can be really damaging. And I think that's an important place to, to be aware of and to try to kind of change that way. But again, it's, it's so systemic that it's, it's hard to, it's hard to make those changes. Yes. Oh, I, um, I've, I have PCOS and, uh, have dealt with infertility for a long time. And, um, and it's always interesting to see how doctors handle the whole weight question, because I know that, you know, technically I'm not in my ideal weight range. Um, and that fertility is easier if you are at a, a weight that's closer to being ideal, but also having PCOS gives me a lot of hormonal imbalances that really impact my weight. So it's really easy for me to gain weight and really hard for me to lose weight. And I, I don't feel like there's 
been a doctor who's really kind of taken a holistic approach to like, you know, whether it's like lifestyle and, you know, kind of taking into consideration all of these factors that are impacting me. I, I do eat pretty good. I do exercise. I don't just shed the pounds. <laughs> um, you know, but, and then there's been doctors who've been very quick to like move to medication. Like here, why don't you try metformin? That helps some people. Like, you know, where it's like, well, metformin is like a serious medication that also has a lot of negative side effects. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, we haven't even like really looked at any other options for balancing my hormones. And, and yeah, I, I just think there's so many factors. It's often not helpful to just be told like, well, you, well, you need to lose weight. Um, because honestly, in the culture we live in, most people are very hyper aware of their weight. And if it was just a matter of like, I think I'll drop a few pounds, everyone would do it. <laughs> like there's a lot more more tied up in it um, than yeah. just being told that you should do it. <laughs> well, in this concept of willpower, just like you said, like if, oh, I will will myself to do that, then you will. <laughs> yeah. So that's not the case. Well, and I think too with hormones, you know, I mean, that affects fertility so much and it affects weight and and you mentioned ideal body weight before but that ideal body weight is based off of a really terrible measurement to begin with so then is that really ideal like comparing your body to a man's body like a 50 year old man eh, I don't know that's really that going to be telling that much about your own health and well-being but yeah it is it's hard and the um it's yeah there's so many things that come into come into play yeah yeah when you say that it like the the a lot of the charts you know that just kind of try to standardize it um say that for my height uh, and age I should weigh 130 pounds and I would be like skeletal um like I it's like oh my gosh I can't imagine being that tiny like and so even with that, where it's like, I know a weight that I feel really good at that I felt was optimal for my health. Mm-hmm. And it was not 130 pounds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's like, I don't sure. care if that's what the chart says. Like, I know how I'm built and like, that would not be good for me. Like that would be so unhealthy. So even within that, like having to kind of create your own norm of like, well, this to me is what would feel good. And yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's a whole lot. And I think systemic is a perfect word for, uh, for where the issue is coming from there. Yeah, it is comes from every direction. And it, you know, I mean, there are places and that are more positive when it comes to that. And there are lots of great resources. Um, Julie Duffy Dillon. Mm, I've heard that name. The right order of her, of the, of the last two names. She's a dietitian who, who specializes in PCOS and, um, intuitive eating and help at every size, which all, all of them go together. And I think, I think, um, women with PCOS are, as you shared, are faced with a lot of, um, confusion when it comes to, you know, (laughs) health habits. And especially when you do all of these things, like I've had patients and clients before where they're just like, I'm literally doing everything that I'm told and my weight is only going up. And, and how frustrating is that? You're, you know, you're told a specific prescription and guess what? It's not working. (laughs) And it's not your fault. Um, and so I guess what I'm saying is that would be a really great resource. She's got a podcast. I think it's like the body love. Uh, maybe you have to edit that out. I don't remember what it's called, but just go to, it's like Julie Duffy Dillon. Um, okay. 
com and find more information there. But that's a great resource because I'm not as well versed in PCOS. But um, but yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard, especially when there's a medical condition that's that changes the game there. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. It's yeah. So a whole a whole crazy cycle of information and things to try and things to do and <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely, I think body image can get really really wrapped up in all of that because it's a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So changing directions a tiny bit, mm -hmm. um, your podcast is called Table for One, and you focus on the joys and challenges of cooking for one, which I really kind of love. And I also think that a lot of people might hear that or even be experiencing that and kind of think of it as like a sad, lonely thing. So why is that not the case? Yeah, you know, I hear I hear it a lot. I hear a lot of people who in theory really like to cook, but the reality is that when it's quote unquote just for them, um it's not something to spend time in, it's not something to to do really. Um you know, a lot of times we especially if we like to cook and like to use that as a way to like show somebody that we love them or, you know, to just share then it's hard to do that, again, quote unquote, just for mm -hmm. yourself. But the reality is, especially as for me as somebody who likes to cook and for a lot of people who do, that's a way to take care of yourself. Just as a way to take care of yourself is to kind of change those voices in your head about the way that your body looks. It's something that you can do to like wind down after a long day or to have a short break from, you know, everything. And so, yeah, I think, I think eating and cooking for yourself is, is something that can be a, a way to take care of yourself. It can be self care and it can be a really enjoyable thing um, with kind of a shift in that mindset. And again, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're somebody who doesn't necessarily like to, to cook, then that's a different story. It might not be a way to take care of yourself <laughs> because it's miserable. Um, but there's lots of options there for you and, you know, for everybody. So that's kind of how I like to look at it is, um, is yeah, kind of fitting it within your own lifestyle and, and also go into it without any, or trying to remove those preconceived notions. Cause I, we all have them, have all these expectations for what cooking or eating should look like. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily line up with reality um, on many levels. Oh my gosh, that's so true. And interestingly, when you, I, I never really thought of it really so much, but after, after I graduated college, I lived in an apartment by myself for a year. Um, and so cooked for myself quite a bit. Um, and I wouldn't even say I'm someone who loves cooking, but like I enjoyed feeding myself well. And honestly, I feel like that year of my life, I probably felt the best about what I was eating because I think it was very intuitive and it wasn't driven by anyone else's needs. You know, like when you're, you know, if you're married or you have kids or you live with other people, all of their dietary preferences and what they want to eat and how often they want to eat and when they want to eat it. <laughs> You know, like it, it really kind of impacts all of your food choices. And there's something about living alone and cooking for yourself that gives you a lot of freedom to be really intuitive about what your desires actually are. Um, 
and when I was kind of preparing for this podcast, it, it made me think of that. And I was like, oh, I kind of like that time in my food life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's so true. And, you know, I mean, like out of all reality, myself included, there are a number of people who, you know, in, in a perfect world, one where you can like dream of what it actually looks like. <laughs> you would be, you know, cooking for a spouse or for a family or being able to share food with others more often than not. But again, kind of merging that dream with reality, like this can be a good way. And like you said, you know, kind of discovering the silver lining there. Like I don't have to, you know, change what I'm cooking based off of anybody else's preferences. I can eat whatever I want and whenever I want. And you know, that sounds, <laughs> that's pretty broad and obviously isn't always the case, but more so than a lot of other people, you have more, more freedom to, to eat more intuitively, which is kind of a cool thing. Yes. Yeah. It, def- it was definitely something that I think I, I really enjoyed. And I kind of had one of those families, you know, where it's like, we, you know, you eat lunch at 1130, you eat uh, dinner at 530 and you eat everything that's on your plate. It, you know, like it, just kind of very like, um, standard. Um, and so when I was like living by myself and it's like, Oh, I kind of like smaller meals and some snacks. And sometimes I don't like to eat any meat. And I'm from like a meat eating family. Like, was it a meal if there wasn't meat? (laughs) No, it wasn't, you know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so just kind of some of these little discoveries about kind of my own eating habits and what felt really good for my body. Um, that I, I don't think I would have discovered, you know, if, when you're living with someone else and, and you just kind of go along with whatever the food norms are. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely something kind of fun there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, you know, just whether it's living alone or, or, you know, trying to figure out what works best for you or having the option to do that, it, it gives you space to kind of experiment with those things that you probably wouldn't if, you know, if you had to f- incorporate others' um, expectations and needs and that as well. And it's kind of a, it's a kind of, a, it's a great space to be able to do that exploration. And I hope that everybody has at least some time in their life to do that. Not to say that like our food preferences or like the way that we live our lives is going to stay that way forever because that's not the yeah. case. <laughs> but at least to be able to experience that and then to come back to that and build off of it can be, you know, it can be really helpful. Yes. Oh, yes. That is super cool. Um, How would you encourage someone who feels that preparing really good meals or if they're not really cooks, like even just like eating out at a good restaurant, um, if someone feels it's just not really worth it because they're all alone, um, how would you encourage them? Yeah. So I think, I think first of all, it's really helpful to be like realistic and with yourself. And I think, I think I'm trying to say something more broad than I'm actually saying it, but really like give yourself the space to, to again, kind of explore, like, do I, you know, do I like cooking? Do I want to try these recipes? Is there anything about this process or the outcome that I can really look forward to? Um, you know, maybe if you don't like cooking, but you like eating good food, then that's something to hold on to. And so I think, realizing that and then holding on to that and figuring out how to achieve that goal can be really helpful. So, I mean, looking at myself, for example, and I, you know, maybe not the norm, but I, 
I don't necessarily look forward forward to cooking, but once I'm in the kitchen and cooking, I'm really enjoying it. And I don't mind spending a little bit of extra time, even like if I'm really hungry. Um, and that's something that works for me like most of the time. Um, and, but you know, like getting to that point of, okay, well I'm kind of hungry. I just want to eat, but also I want to cook something or use up the food that I have. So one thing that I find helpful again, as somebody who already knows that I like cooking is to like bring something fun into the kitchen. So, um, that could be, or like some entertainment, I guess is what I'm saying. So I'll listen to podcasts. I'll listen to music and kind of dance in the kitchen as I'm cooking. I really like that. It's fun. Or maybe watch a show or a movie or something, do something while you're cooking. So it's not just like you in your thoughts in a quiet place and not that that's a bad thing at all, but you know, if you're coming home after a long day at work or you're, you know, you just, you want to make that experience a little bit more enjoyable. And the same thing goes for like eating that can feel really lonely. And so, mm. you know, listening to a book, reading a book, listening, watching, just watching something um, can do that too. So does, does that answer your question? And a lot of joys or something yes yeah and I think I like when you kind of talk about an experience I, I like in my mind I love the idea of like oh like having some music playing and maybe having some wine or you know just kind of like making it an experience because it is an experience for yourself mm -hmm. um and, and I think sometimes we get so caught up on on creating experiences for other people um, that we kind of forget about our own selves and the experiences that, that we're having. So I love the idea of making it, whether it's music or, or a podcast or something that kind of stimulates you. I, I love kind of adding that in. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's something that you deserve as woo-woo as that sounds. But the <laughs> I mean, that's the reality. And and following through with that just you know, it kind of, it improves things. And for me, I'm not sure if you're this way at all, but I, you know, will start out a lot of times like, Oh, I don't want to chalk that up or whatever. <laughs> but if I have music going on, something that I'm enjoying, like it allows me to be more in the moment if that's the right term, but I'm more willing to like, okay, well, I'm enjoying this. So I'd be willing to spend that extra couple minutes to chop whatever up, you know, and, and add that to my dish. So A, I'm getting some vegetables and B, I'm not <laughs> letting that sit and rot in my fridge. So at least that's been my experience and that's been really helpful for me to, to, you know, get in the kitchen and cook, but also take a little bit of extra time. Um, if that's kind of what I planned on doing, you know, as in incorporating those, all those different foods. Yes. And I think that we're so much more likely to do that when we do make it an experience that we want to partake in versus like, oh, just something to get through because we have to eat something. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, I think making it an experience and, and even making it something that you look forward to, like, yes, this new podcast episode or my favorite music, or this is when I watch my episode of my show, um, you know, kind of makes it something that you get excited about coming home to do versus just like another thing that you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it brings joy into the process, which you know, um, for most of us, there's going to be some sort of process, whether it's like a two minute process or a 20 minute or more process. Um, there's something that has to happen to get food on your plate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you might as well find some joy in it. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, what final piece of advice would you share with our listeners? 
Ooh. So I, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, just, just to find ways to make it work for you. So I, I think, you know, we see everywhere. First of all, it's really confusing because like everywhere you look, somebody's telling you something different, but mm -hmm. kind of instead of feeling like you have to follow what so-and-so says, or this works for them. So therefore it's going to work for me. Um, Amy Poehler has a great quote where she says, good for her, not for me. I think it's something like that. <laughs> and, and I think that's a good way to kind of live your life. And I think this is an example of that. Like if something, you know, like meal planning. So, you know, you have to spend all of this time meal planning all at once. Well, okay. Like I'm not going to do that, especially <laughs> if you're cooking for one, not necessarily helpful. Yeah. But, you know, find components of that that might work and experiment with this. Turn all of this into an experiment and um, really allow yourself to, to try different things and know that I'm not going to have to do this, like, forever. And if I like this, then I can do it for a long time where I can switch it up and find a different way to, to cook, to eat, whatever it is, and to kind of make that work for yourself. So we're all so different. We have different expectations, food preferences, lives. And so if it works for somebody else, it's not necessarily wrong if it's not going to work for you. Oh, and I just really appreciate the flexibility in that. You know, like give yeah. it a try, but you don't have to be so worried about doing it perfectly or making yourself do it. If it doesn't work for you, just try something different. Yeah. 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 And, and I think being aware of like what our stress levels are doing in that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if just the thought of, of, you know, again, meal planning in a certain way, I guess <laughs> have my mind <laughs> on meal planning, but having, you know, that certain expectation and you're just like, Oh, I dread doing that. Or, Oh boy, where am I going to fit that in? Like, that's a red flag. <laughs> and it's okay. Then that means try something different. Yes. Oh, I love that. And I, I feel like I'm going to even, even though I'm not cooking for one per se, um, I makes me want to kind of look at my cooking and meal planning and grocery shopping process and find ways to make it something um, that I enjoy and look forward to versus just something I just kind of do because I, I feel like I'm supposed to. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I guess too, you know, this, these are, uh, principles or like aspects of cooking that are not just for people who are cooking for one. I think these are really universal. So whether it's finding like, you know, taking the time to spend the time <laughs> on, the, on the aspects of it that you like, and then finding ways to simplify and or outsource the parts that you don't like can be really helpful. Yes. Oh, Rebecca, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. And if listeners want to find you and connect with you, how can they do that? Yeah. So I have a food blog specifically for people cooking for one, lots of really easy recipes, plus ways to like repurpose those recipes because leftovers are great because they're super easy, but they're also not great because they get boring fast. Yeah. <laughs> so you can find all of that on my food blog. It's just called nourishnutritionblog.com. And then also I think kind of the easiest way to find me is on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So my handle is NNC, which is like um, abbreviation of Nourish Nutrition Co. So NNC underscore table for one. Um, and the table for one is all one word. And then you can click on the link in my profile, go to my podcast, which is table for one. Um, 
go to the blog like any yeah anywhere else so instagram is usually the easiest awesome yeah i feel like more and more it's like oh you like starting point is instagram and then <laughs> you can branch out from there <laughs> yeah it's a good landing spot yes oh so true Rebecca, thank you so much for taking the time to come on today and to share about what you're doing and all of these awesome ideas for creating an experience that we can really enjoy when it comes to our food and our eating. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for allowing me to join. It was fun chatting with you. <laughs>